Boy, the Jewish world is swirling with news today. And a former liberal Jew talks about the dark agenda against Christians in America today. All coming your way on The Line of Fire. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. The number to call with your Jewish-related questions, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. And we are chock full of important content today. I wrote an article earlier today. It's up already on different sites. Are Jews who believe in Jesus still Jews? You know, for years I'd hear it from Jews. Well, you were Jewish. You're not Jewish can't be a Jewish follower of Jesus. You could be a Jewish atheist, you could be a Jewish Buddhist, but not a Jewish follower of Jesus, the Jew. So I've addressed that again in writing. You can read that on the stream.org or sdrbrown.org. And there are also Christians who say, well, why do you say you're a Jewish follower of Jesus? You're not Jewish anymore. There's neither Jew nor Gentile in Jesus. Well, says there's neither male nor female. Do you have men's meeting in your church? Women's meetings? Men's bathrooms? Ladies' bathrooms? I thought there's no male or female. Oh, that's not what it means. Of course, that's not what it means. Just like when he says there's not a Jew or or Gentile, it doesn't mean that the categories don't exist. It means that we are one in Jesus, that we have equal standing, equal status, that we're equally loved, equally forgiven, equally priests to God, equally sons and daughters of God, equally branches of the vine, equally priests to God, equally members of the body of Messiah. That's what it means. So we, we set the record straight with that article bunch of things in Jewish world, Jewish news to cover. And then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by David Horowitz, one of the most important conservative thinkers in America today. But interestingly, once a radical liberal Jew. Yeah, once a radical liberal Jew. We're going to talk to him about his book, Dark Agenda, the attempt to destroy Christian in America, excuse me, the, the, the war to destroy Christian America. Okay, I saw a clip of an interview that to me was blatantly anti-Semitic. I'm not going to play it now, so I'm not going to give you names that would be unfair without giving you more context and background. But the discussion to me was blatantly anti-Semitic. It, it was perpetuating lies about the Jewish people misinformation about the Jewish people so as to speak in a derogatory way about the Jewish people. And one of the comments made was Jews are so eager to build the third temple so that they can usher in their Messiah and prove that Jesus is the Messiah. It is not the Messiah. Now I've interacted with my Jewish community for 47 years and I'm raised in a Jewish home. So my entire 64 years. And I'm in constant interaction with religious Jews, and I have studied extensively in rabbinic literature over the decades. And this idea that Jews are so eager for the Messiah to come so that, so that they can disprove that Jesus is the Messiah is the furthest thing from a traditional Jewish mind. It's just like saying the reason Christians are praying for Jesus to return is so that we can prove that Muhammad is not the the last prophet. who's, Who's thinking that? 
who's praying for Jesus to return because we're, we have to disprove Islam. But this notion that the Jewish community and the Jewish world, the religious Jewish world, is so eager to build the temple, your average secular Israeli doesn't think about it at all. Your average religious Jew is praying for the Messiah to come and be revealed, and one of the things he'll do is build a temple. You have a tiny, tiny fraction of the religious Jewish world and, and a, a subplot or a, a, a subgroup of um, evangelicals, so certainly not the majority, who are really focused on seeing the temple, third temple rebuilt. That's it. You say, well, how do I know this? Well, I, I know it from listening, from interacting, from talking, from reading. But there was a, <laughs> excuse me, a new party in the Israeli elections earlier this week called Zahut. Zahut. And it was led by Moshe Feiglin. And he's a traditional Jew. And one of his big emphases is rebuild the temple. Uh, in order to get votes, though, only in Israel, right? He was one of 40, his party, one of 40 parties running. They, he said he also wants to campaign for the legalization of marijuana. <laughs> How does this fit, right? Crazy. Okay. In order to get any Knesset seats, you have to get at least 0.325% of the vote, as we went over on Tuesday, at least three 0.325% uh, of the vote, which then gives you four Knesset seats. All right. So his party didn't even get that. His party with all the campaigning and talking, it's going to be the big surprise. They did not get a single Knesset seat as far as the last poll and readings that we have. They did not get a single seat. That shows how obsessed. Oh, we've got to build it. His party was the one emphasizing building the temple. <laughs> Didn't even get enough votes to get on the board at all. All right. Now, something very interesting. Let me grab this article here from the Times of Israel. And this is a website under the auspices of David Horowitz. Times of Israel. The kids are all right wing. Why Israel's younger voters are more conservative. Very interesting. While American millennials have a liberal reputation, young Israeli Jews who have never known a real peace process identify as right wing at much higher levels than their parents. So what you have to understand is that the Israeli dream, the Zionist dream, was an idealistic dream, often a humanistic dream, and, and one that thought that there could be peaceful coexistence with Palestinian Muslim uh, neighbors. Of course, they weren't called Palestinian, and they just would have been Arab neighbors or greater Syria or Jordan, you know, whatever, whatever the background would have been. That was the vision. And there, there was the goal, and, and look, we can work together, and, and the handshake with Yasser Arafat and, and, and all these things, you know, it can, it can happen, a certain hope, a certain dream. But when you have continual terrorist attacks, when you, when you see how young people in Gaza have been raised and, and their perception of Israel is, is obviously very, very negative, when they see Iran really wanting to destroy Israel, when, when they see the, the constant pressure Israel's under, and yes, you can go there and it's safe, but it's safe because of day and night vigilant security, the world pressure that's against them. When, when you see all that, you, you think, hey, we, we need security. We need security. 
And because of that, there is often a greater, a greater uh, emphasis on the right, on security, on strong borders, on strong military, on fighting terrorism, and less idealism. Now, within Israel, you have the radical left. You, you, you have professors within Israel calling for the boycott of, of Israel. You have a radical left. And you have publications like Haaretz, a leading newspaper and publication in Israel for, for decades, basically through its history. And, and that's, that's strongly left. So you, you have those influences. They're definitely there. And Israelis are critical of Israelis on both sides. But it's interesting that the younger generation seems to be more conservative in some of its ideology, at, at least in terms of politics and security. As far as other liberal agendas, it would be very similar to American young people in terms of, you know, pro-gay and pro-abortion and those kinds of things. So very, very interesting. Uh, also, also, uh, there is an article on Sojourners. Sojourners being a left-wing evangelical publication that is often on the opposite side of issues uh, from a Christian perspective as opposed to where I would stand. But there's an article by Deborah Pardo Kaplan on the undoing of modern Christianity. And, and uh, the article makes great points. One line, loving Jesus without knowing about his Jewish community is like trying to love your spouse while you suffer from amnesia. Can I read that again? Loving Jesus without knowing about his Jewish community is, is like trying to love your spouse while you suffer from amnesia. In other words, you, you don't know the history you don't know what got you this far. You just have kind of a present tense understanding. Great point. When the church cuts itself off from its Jewish roots and its Jewish heritage, it does it to its own damage and hurt. 866-34-TRUTH. By the way, we've never heard back from, from uh, True News, Rick Wiles. Uh, we've been waiting for weeks and weeks. We have written back several times and never gotten the final word. When I called out blatant anti-Semitic statements on True News, now he's targeting Ben Shapiro. Someone sent me a link where this is a, a major focus of, of his attack, Ben Shapiro, interestingly. So the last thing Ben needs is someone to defend him, by the way. And Ben and I, of course, differ strongly on Jesus being the Messiah and, and other things. Otherwise, I, I'm thrilled with what he does and the voice that he provides. That being said, uh, we call them out over blatant anti-Semitic comments copied them when we did. They immediately said, come on our, our TV show. Let's sit and talk. And we have lots of time to do it. I said, deal. As long as you come on my radio show, let's be fair. I'll go on your turf. You come on my turf. If you don't want to do that, then let's set up a formal debate where you can try to back the, the charges you brought and I can challenge them. Uh, we never heard. It's been weeks now. We, we've written back. I don't want to be a nuisance. We'll probably write back one more time. But just to let you know, we've made the effort to do that. Okay, last thing, and then we're going to go to your calls. Camera.org. Uh, camera is the, the committee for accurate media reporting about Israel. And they're constantly catching the media in lies and misrepresentations and textbooks that are dishonest and, and giving false impressions and often getting corrections to be issued. So they have a billboard out. This is so cool. Outside the New York Times office, when, when you look outside the New York Times office, you see, with this great building in New York City, Manhattan, 
you see this this billboard, and the billboard says big and clear, so it's a constant challenge. While Hamas firebombs Israel, the New York, excuse me, the New York Times inflames with biased coverage. And there's the picture of a Molotov cocktail, and what's going to light the flame in it is the New York Times biased reporting. This has been going on for many years, uh, often an anti-Israel bias and a, an ex- exalting of a Palestinian narrative that can be misleading. This has been going on for many years. But now uh, it's a great investment of money. Let that public challenge be there, right? We're coming back and going straight to your calls. Thanks. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to 30 Jewish Thursday on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. To the phones, starting with Daniel in Arizona. Welcome to The Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, uh, I really appreciate your uh, ministry. Uh, I've, I've, I was a torchbearer for a long time. I just recently had to not, I didn't have the money for it recently. So um, I, I just had, I wanted to um, differ with you respectfully, of course, uh, like your example. You always give a good example along those lines. Um, with your position, uh, I believe it is your position. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That the that unbelieving Israel is God's people. So I, I differ with that. Is it true that you believe that unbelieving Israel is God's people? Yeah, sure. God's people, but not in right relationship with Him. God's people under judgment, but God doesn't. God doesn't okay. change the, the promises that He gave. And by the way, thanks. Thanks for being a supporter. And, and a, a faithful listener. Yeah, and, you know, Paul Paul makes it clear that as regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards election, so that's choosing calling, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So okay. they're God's people, so, but not so a right in right relationship and under, under more strict judgment because of it. Okay, so in Exodus 33, uh, verse 13, he says uh, that in 13 through 16, God says, uh, my presence will go with you, right? Because uh, Moses has considered, too, that this nation is your people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay. And then in verse 16, he says, uh, is, uh, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. So in order to say that the that unbelieving Israel is God's people, you have to actually believe that God's presence goes with them and gives them rest. And no, that I, is actually, not the case. Yeah, because, yeah, actually, with all respect, you, know, you, you just, yeah, you, you just actually, with all respect, sir, you completely proved the opposite. Mm-hmm. Even when they were okay. sinning, 
Moses still called them God's people, even when they were sinning. Okay, I'm not. They were still God's people. Covenant, the, co- the covenant is changed. The, the, the requirements for being considered God's people have changed now. And as it says in Deuteronomy 32, that they are not his people. It says in verse 5, they are no longer his children because they're blemished. In verse 21, it says, they got another God for themselves. So how oh, can you be God's wait, 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 people? So what, when did that change? Hang, hang on. Hang, hang on. When did that change? When you said that the that's, conditions that's, changed. That's, that's a, that's a good. That's a good question. But you know, first, John, no, 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 first no. But, John but hang, says, hang on, hang, whoever, hang on. Whoever, yeah. Daniel, I'm, I'm trying to help. Okay. okay? Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Did it change? This is Sinai Covenant, right? Exodus and Deuteronomy is all Sinai Covenant, correct? Okay. Uh, okay. So it it didn't change there. All right. Yeah. And 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 it's it's talking about the way they're living. They're not living as his children. They're living in disobedience, but they're still. He, he refers to them throughout the Old Testament as his people, even in disobedience. There is disobedient right. people. I, so, I agree. I agree. And, he, right, he, right. He was, he was, of course, yeah, at that, he was faithful to them. Like it says, he's faithful to the backslider, or he's married to the backslider. I agree that, that during that time, he was their God. You know, he was, he, uh, so, but in, in Romans 9, okay, 24 through 26, Paul asserts that the fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy when he says, although I said to them, not my people, it will be said to them, children of the living God, but that is fulfilled when the Gentiles and Jews believe in the gospel. So number one, they're not his children, because you're only the child of God uh, when you believe in the gospel. And th- and that in that sense, he put Israel... Right, but, but hang on, right? So, so here's here's the issue. Did did Paul say we're all his offspring? All human beings are God's offspring. Oh, you mean like colloquially when he was speaking to the unbelievers? A uh, colloquially, ah. So now you're finding different nuances in how things are being used. See, here's what you're missing. You can be God's children through active right relationship with Him, which is through the cross. Right? We agree on that, and we agree that Jews and Gentiles need Jesus in order to be saved. You can be God's children right. by creation, the entire world, in that sense, God's children. You can be God's children by calling as the people of Israel are, all right? So you can be God's children on the one hand and not his children relationally. You can be his people but, but not it, living as his people. But there, what, what I, what is I there need— a fulfillment? Is there a fulfillment of the verse that says, it will be said to them, children of the living God? And and hold on, let me just make this point because it's very yeah, important. Yes, of course it will be. Paul— yeah. Paul Okay, well, Paul says that when when Paul asserts that that verse is fulfilled when the Gentiles and Jews believe, okay, he is equating, he's putting the, the he's putting the Jewish people and the Gentiles on equal footing as what not my people. But but you're missing the whole says, point. Where, but Dan, 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 Daniel, where, right, 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 hang on, hang on. All right, hang on. You're asking questions, and and I want to be respectful of the calls as well. You're completely abusing the text to make a certain point and, and, and arguing against something that I don't even hold to. Israel remains Israel. The church never becomes Israel, okay? All Gentiles never become Israel. Gentile believers never become Israel. Gentile believers never become Jews, okay? However, in Jesus, we have 100% equal standing. In Jesus, we have 100% equal relationship with God. In Jesus, the Jew is not up here and the Gentile down here or reversed. We are 100% equals in Messiah. 
But just like, just like there are men who follow Jesus and women who follow Jesus, there are Gentiles who follow Jesus and Jews who follow Jesus. And Paul is explicit. In Romans, the 11th chapter, he says, I'm writing to you Gentiles because I, I'm, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles and I want you to make Israel envious. So there's Israel and there's envy and, and there's, there's the nations, the Gentiles. And those who are saved among the Gentiles and saved among the Jews are the ecclesia, the church, the messianic community. But yes, God's people remain God's people. Israel remains Israel, God's people, but not in right relationship with him, not walking as his children, not walking as his people. Paul said, having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What I would emphasize, so, though, sir, very strongly, is what Paul says in Romans 11, 26 through 29. I'd get those so deep in your heart, your spirit, until you begin to rejoice with the specific promises God's made. The fullness of the Gentiles, yes, Romans eleven twenty five. The salvation of Israel, yes, Romans eleven twenty six. They are not the same thing. All right, hey, thank you for the call, sir. I do appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Jacob in Tennessee. Welcome to the line of fire. Afternoon, Dr. Brown. Appreciate you taking the call. Uh, you bet. First of all, at the beginning of the broadcast, you were talking about Ben Shapiro. I'd love to hear you debate him. But uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd love to um, also. If, if he ever wants to, that would be that would be great. That would be fun. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 7 talks yeah. about, and it just jumped off the page the other day, about, um, obviously, I've read Psalm 110 before, talking about, you know, this conversation between the father and son, and yeah. him being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. And it, it dawned on me that all these images that I've seen from a child, uh, you know, through vacation Bible school and Sunday school tablets and everything else, it, it pictured Jesus as the high priest and from the tribe of Levi with the, with the ephod and the turban and, and the stones and everything else. But that Melchizedek pre-exists Aaron. So, and those would make him human and fleshly and, and, and needing of certain garments in order to be righteous, but... Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if all of those images of Jesus as a Levitical high priest are in error. Um, according to Hebrews 7, Jesus is not the same kind of high priest that Aaron was, but he is one out of the order of Melchizedek. He is our perfect high priest. Um, and all those images I've always seen of him at the altar in heaven wearing the stone yeah, and yeah. the turban and everything else, that, that, that doesn't seem right. Is that is that correct or am I off? Well, well, you're not off in thinking it through. You're thinking it through very logically and scripturally. That's good. I would say that the images are just images. In other words, who said that? Who sure. said that Jesus is wearing certain priestly garments or, you it know what I'm saying? Picture. Right. Yeah. On the flip side, on the flip side, the Mishkan, the tabernacle was made after the Tavnit, the pattern in heaven. All right. Yes. And in that sense, you could say there's a reflection, the, the altar, the, the tabernacle, the priests priestly garment, there must be some reflection of, of heavenly images. That's one thing. A second thing is Melchizedek, Melchizedek is called a priest. He's not referred to as high priest, right? So okay. all the okay. imagery that we get of high priest actually comes from uh, the, the, the passages in particular in Exodus, where the high priest wears certain garments and has a certain function. So what I would say is that he's not Levitical. He's not from the tribe of Levi. Right, he's from the, the, the tribe of Judah. He's Davidic, not not Aaronic or Levitic. But 
the function of the high priest is represented by the priestly garments for intercession, for carrying the, the sins of the nation, for set apart to holiness to the Lord. So in that sense, what he's doing, I'd look at it like this. He's wearing garments that would not have belonged to him by lineage, but they belong to him by the oath to David the, and, and the messianic calling. All right, so I'd make a slight shift in your thinking. The garments could be said to be appropriate, but the change is that someone that wouldn't have worn them is now wearing them. And again, it's spiritual, allegorical, when we speak of the Messiah wearing them. If he's actually wearing garments like that or just functioning like that, that's the bigger point. All right, friends, stay tuned. Much more to come. Oh, oh tomorrow, 4.50. Eastern Standard. So 50 minutes after the show, I'm going to do a live YouTube chat just answering your YouTube questions. Tomorrow, almost one hour after the show, we're going straight to YouTube to answer your questions there. Fire we want, for fire we It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. We're about to have a very important discussion about a very serious matter. This is not hype. This is not exaggeration. This is not Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. This is sober talk with David Horowitz, New York Times bestselling author, one of the leading conservative authors, uh, thinkers in America, which is all the more interesting, thinking that he was a radical liberal Jew of the 60s. His newest book, The Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America, Tucker Carlson calls it a disturbing but vital book. Mike Huckabee, former Governor Mike Huckabee, one of the most intellectually compelling and rational defenses of Christianity's role in America. David, thanks so much for joining us on the broadcast today. Hey, well, thanks for having me. Well, Yeah, my book begins with this, an obvious truth, but it's been hidden because they, uh, the Supreme Court drove religion out of the schools. So you don't learn, you can't learn about how this country was created. 98% of the people who settled America and created America were Protestant Christians. And it could only have been created by Protestant Christians. Every American value we have, uh, you know, freedom of conscience, equality, inclusion, pluralism, all of these, tolerance are Christian ideas. They originated in Christianity, including a skepticism about whether the people know what's best, since we have the Democratic Party now attacking the Electoral College and other, uh, and pretending that the founders wanted one person to have one vote. No, the, the founders, they uh, invested sovereignty in the American people but then they put all these checks and balances on them. Why? Because, because they were Christians. They're familiar you know, with the book of Genesis. Uh, we, we had a paradise that was better than the, than the Green New Deal, better than any utopia. Uh, 
But the price of staying there was not to know evil. And, and of course, our forebears, Adam and Eve, could not resist that temptation. And they were seduced uh, by the serpent, saying, you shall be as God. If you eat that from that tree, you shall be as God. And if you look at the arrogance of everybody on the left, all these, I, I hate it when people call them li- liberals because they're vindictive bigots is what they are. They have contempt for everybody that disagrees with them. They think they know how to rearrange the world. It's that, it's that very pride, that very delusion that they can act as gods. Uh, that's the problem. That's what, that's what makes them so dangerous. And, and David, how is it, what was the turning point for you when you went from one of these radicals on the left and a product of the 60s to, to become who you are today, to be writing books like Dark Agenda? Was it well, a long process? Things, uh, really, two big things happened. One was the Black, I, I raised a lot of money for the Black Panther Party and bought a Baptist church that had been overtaken by the inner city and turned it over to them. Um, and they murdered the woman whom I recruited to keep the books of the school. I believed our own propaganda that the government was racist. The racists are all on the left. But, but I believed the propaganda, so I felt we had to have a bookkeeper, and they, they killed her. And that happened about the same time that the left was successful in forcing America to abandon our allies in Vietnam and, and leave Vietnam. And the communists then proceeded to slaughter two and a half million innocent Indo-Chinese peasants. Mm. And there wasn't a single protest. And that showed me that my comrades and everybody on the left, there never was an anti-war movement. They hate America. And they're very destructive. And then I turned my, you know, I, I, I had to rethink my attitude towards America. I had to look at it again. And one of the first things that struck me was you can't have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness unless it's given by a god. There has to be a divinity. If it's given by government, it can be taken away. Mm-hmm. And that was that was an easy idea, but hard to to fully embrace because I I was and I still am an agnostic. I I haven't been touched by faith, so I don't. I don't really know if there's a God or not. But I do know this. You can't have the freedoms we enjoy as Americans unless, A, there's a God, B, you have respect for the belief in God, and C, you have respect for people who believe in God. And when I see the contempt, it's unbelievable, the contempt that so-called, I hate it when people call them liberals because they're vindictive bigots, um, but the contempt they have for religious people and the aggressions, particularly carried out by the LGBTQ left, uh, you know, against uh, Jack Phillips in Colorado, against Chick-fil-A. Why are they attacking Chick-fil-A and keeping them out of the airports? Because Chick-fil-A, its charitable arm, gives money to uh, a nonprofit that promotes its ideas. In other words, it's an attack on the First Amendment. They don't want anybody disagreeing with them. They want a one-party state. 
Democrats are very, very dangerous people these days. And uh, my, one of my big uh, concerns is that conservatives, and Christians in particular, are too decent and too civilized and too polite and too willing to give people the benefit of the doubt when they have malice in their hearts. Yeah, and and uh, it is true that uh, uh, here I'm I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus, so you're coming at this as an agnostic Jew. I, I was a hippie rock drummer in the '60s, and and then had a radical conversion experience. But yes, it it is true that we want to overcome evil with good. We want to over overcome hatred with love. We we want to serve rather than try to take over. But you're saying that that the battle is intense. Obviously, we're not talking about violent resistance, but, but recognizing there's an ideological battle that those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet and that this could truly affect the way our kids and grandkids grow up. So uh, another... And large... There should have been an outrage with yeah. this jerk from Indiana, Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, attacked uh, Mike Pence, a vice president. Mike Pence is an incredibly decent Christian. Mike Pence, when, when Buttigieg came out as gay, Mike Pence went out of his way to praise him as a mayor and, and whatever. And yet he, he's attacking Mike Pence though, as though Mike Pence is the bigot. It's Buttigieg who's the bigot. And, and then he hides behind God, saying, uh, you know, it's above my, if you have a problem with who I am, it's above my pay grade. You had to take it up with my creator. Yep. Well, you know, that's one of the most vexed theological questions there is. I mean, Ted Bundy could use the same argument. Exactly. How is there evil in the world? Is a, is, is, it's like the theological question. And this little jerk from Indiana does not have the answers. He just has contempt. What he's done is so offensive to, to Pence. And I don't see enough outrage at what he's done. Um, yeah, I'm, that, that's my problem. Yeah, I understand. I, I wrote on it immediately, challenging him. Then I raised an article, could say a pedophile who says, this is the way I was born and this is the way I feel. Yeah. Could, could they use that to judge? And I'm not comparing, we're not comparing Ted Bundy to Pete Buttigieg, et cetera. We're comparing no, the no, argument. If I was, I'm born this way and therefore it's God's business. Well, everybody's born with some issue or something. Yeah, <laughs> God's responsible for everything for then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, let, let me let me ask you something just from a different angle here. Often, as I'm combating anti-Semitism, and I frequently use articles at Times of Israel, I'm so thankful for what you put out and, and the clear head you and your, your team have there. But so often, you know, we see whether it's leaders in the ACLU or leaders in the SPLC or the George Soros's of this world, that, that often leftist Jews are, are really on the wrong side of these issues. How, how is it that so often we come down on the well, wrong Soros, side? Soros hates Jews. I mean, his name was Schwartz. They changed the name to get away from the Jews. But yeah, look, it's because, and I explained this in my brother's book, Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. That the left, leftism, progressivism, so-called, social justice, communism, it's all the same thing, is a crypto-religion. It's an alternative religion. So Jews mm. who aren't really that religious. I mean, the Orthodox Jews are very conservative. Right. But the other Jews have substituted progressivism 
for Judaism. It, it, you know, the fundamental divide is over the nature of human beings. Um, what the left is, it's, it's, it's an old heresy. It's called the Pelagian heresy. Pelagius was a Christian monk in the 4th century. And Pelagius believed that sin was against human nature. So that if people followed their true nature, they would be good Christians, and they could create kingdom of heaven on earth without God. They wouldn't need God's help, which is the reverse of, the, of, of what Genesis is about. There's an angel with a flaming sword at the gates of Eden, preventing our return, because we're the problem. So it was Augustine who said that we all share in original sin. And, uh, you know, it's, it's in Job. I mean, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We're the problem. Society is not the problem. We create society. It just reflects who we are. So once you understand that people are the problem, then you have a certain skepticism towards government. That's why we have the system of checks and balances, because mm. our country was founded by religious people who, were, uh, who, who had learned this lesson. And that's why they're so dangerous, because the, the people in government are the same people who create the problems that government, that the Democrats think government can solve, except they have lots more power. We've just had a two-year lesson in that with this Russia hoax and yeah. this attempted two-day time. Let me, just, uh, let me just jump in. We've just got a quick break, and then got a few more minutes with David Horowitz, the new book, Dark Agenda. Friends, this is a book you need to read. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. I'm holding in my hand David Horowitz's new book, best-selling New York Times best-selling author David Horowitz's new book, Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. According to my friend and colleague, Catholic colonist John Zmirak, this is the best book on politics for Christians in 2019. According to evangelical leader Gary Bauer, this is an eye-opening account of the left's 60-year war against America's Christian foundations. Uh, so, David, who, who's doing what? How, how much of a concerted effort is there in the media, in politics, in our educational system? What is the dark agenda? Who's doing it? Where's it coming from? It's the left. Yeah, I mean, people always ask me that. They don't even have to have a party. They have a, a, a set of ideas. Mm-hmm. And one is that people are good and society makes the bad. So give us power and we'll make everything right. That That's the really dangerous idea. And it's in all of them. I mean, they don't even have to communicate it. Uh, you know, you say, how is it possible that the left can embrace and make laws that allow you 
to murder a child that's already been born. Yep. And yet they get, uh, you know, they, they also, at the same time, they're passing legislation to protect spiders. Or, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No. Unless you see, well, it's this delusion that you could change the world. So, you know, they don't believe in the abortal soul. Um, they don't believe in the sanctity of human life. Uh, you know, I have a whole section on Margaret Sanger, who created Planned Parenthood. She thought that people should be bred like animals. We get rid of the defective ones. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you just see it in all of them. I mean, there, there are no dissent. Where's the Democrat who said this is horrific? This New York law allowing, uh, making it legal to murder born children. I never thought I'd live to see that day come. But that shows you what they're capable of. There's no limit to the evil that they will embrace. If you thought you could bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth and end war and injustice and prejudice and, uh, you know, all the things, what lie would you not tell? And what crime would you not commit or support? And that's why, you know, progressives supported the murder of 100 million people in peacetime by the communists. They were progressives. And, then when they, and you know, we're talking about people who lived in the Western world and won Nobel Prizes, and they supported Stalin and everything, because this, this fantasy that you could remake the world and everything will come out right, um, is very, very seductive. As is the, you know, the, the prime seduction, you shall be as gods. Look yeah. at this Cortez idiot. I mean, you know, the Green New Deal, which she keeps changing, because she hasn't thought, well, she's capable of thought, so. Um, but take one of the planks. Uh, we want to get, you know, you're going to die in 12 years. Come on. But that's what the gun they put to your head. So you have to give us power to do anything we want. And what we want is we want to get rid of all gasoline cars. How many gasoline cars do you think there are in America? 250 million? 300 million? People are attached to their cars. You're going to take the cars away from them. It's going to cost them economically. It's going to be a real hardship. And force them to drive uh, electric cars. You're going to do this in 10 years, and you could do this with 300 million cars. You can't do that without martial law, can you? And then she basically says that's her model, a wartime mobilization, like the Second World War. That That's that's where we get it. We'll print the money. We'll order people around. You know, that's where they put the Japanese in the internment camps. Yeah. <laughs> They're transparent, except that our side is so nice. They call it socialism. These are communists. They're not socialists. Bernie Sanders had his honeymoon in the Kremlin at the height of the Soviet empire, which he worshipped. He didn't have it in Denmark, which is what he says the socialist model is. His heroes were Frederick II, the king of Denmark, and Anders Rasmussen, the prime minister. They were Castro and Ho and Stalin. And now, that's who Bernie Sanders is. He's a pathological liar. Every time he opens his mouth, he's lying. 
I mean, there's a million there, too. I mean, they're perfect. They, you know, they feed themselves. They're narcissists. And, and it's true of all revolutions. When the Sandinistas took over Nicaragua, first thing they did is evicted all the rich people from their homes and moved into them. Yeah, and, you know, Pol Pot in Cambodia, the intellectuals and, and all of that got it decimated yeah, and destroyed the culture. The yeah, and, you, you know, the... The, the, the fact That's how is, you fix the world, because yeah. they have bad ideas. Once you get wrapped up in this idea, you could make a perfect world. You'll do anything. So, yeah, the Pol Pot people, they, they, they executed people for wearing glasses, because that meant they read books, so they had bad ideas. Yeah, and so that's the extremist, and that's how far it yeah, goes. The, the it, biggest it, danger we face is people. I mean, that that's the, you, you know, I, 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 I like to watch these reality shows, you know, the detective shows. It shows you how evil people are, what they're capable of. Yeah, That's the big problem, and, I, you know, that's what religion is about. It's about taming the beast of all of us. Well, you know, David, j just to jump in, because we're, we're just about out of time, but I, I want to suggest to you that you've been more touched by faith than you realize, because the, the your soul, your perspective, your conscience, it comes from somewhere. It's just not a product of, of random evolutionary process. So perhaps there's more evidence of the image of God in you than you, you give yourself credit for. Well, I, I think I have lived it. Uh, I tried to live a religious life. Uh, but I think that's in me. You know, when I was 18, I gave a sermon in a Lutheran church, actually, in Idaho, I was working for the Forest Service, based on an Oscar Wilde story. Uh. So I, I've always, you know, I just haven't been touched by faith. I haven't had a conversion. Got it. Experience. Haven't had the experience. And Got I'm it. not going to force it. And I, no, no. Uh, I, uh, that, and, you know, and my wife is worried about me because she's quite spiritual, but I said, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, God is going to punish me for for, for not, um, you, you know, he's going to judge me by what I've done in my life. Not for, yeah. you know, whether I, I figured out that he, he exists or not. <laughs> hey, well, listen, I, I, I've, I'm uh, in the final editing process of a commentary on the book of Job. And part of Job's integrity was to challenge God because he knew that the God of the universe it, it should not be, committing acts of injustice. And that was his perception. And at the end, even though God rebukes him, God also says, you spoke what was right about me. So I'm sure there are lots of people praying for you, but David, I appreciate the voice you've been. And I, I appreciate your sincerity in terms of saying, Hey, you've, you've got to be touched in that way. And I pray that God will make himself real in an undeniable way. And thank you for what you've done thus far. Much appreciation for many of us. And I thank you because I need a Christian audience. That's, that's where I have to start with the book, and they will take it to other people. We're in the midst of a, of a terrible war. Yeah. We're, you know, close to losing this country. And the yeah, word I, for Donald Trump, and there, there wouldn't be a Donald Trump without the evangelical movement. It's true. Um, well, we would be toast. Well, we, we're, so working, anyway, thank you. we're working with you, sir. Thank you. Much appreciated. Maybe I'll meet you face-to-face -face one of these days. All right. All the okay. best to you. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right. That was David Horowitz, the book, The Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. Hey, let's pray for him right now. Can we do that? Father, I pray for David Horowitz that he would have that encounter with you. 
that just as you opened my wife Nancy's eyes when she was a staunch atheist at 19 when we first met and you made yourself real to her and so many atheist agnostics have had an encounter with you. Father, here's a man that says human beings are sinful. Here's a, a man who says that without God, we have no real rights. Here's a man who wants to stand up for the image of God and human beings. Touch him. Make yourself known to him through your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, listen, friends. Tomorrow, we've got a regular show. So Eastern Standard Time, 3 to 4 p.m. on your local radio stations and on Facebook and YouTube. But then 4.50, so you compute, com- compute the time, 50 minutes, 5-0. After our show is done tomorrow, we're going to be doing an exclusive YouTube chat. Could be half hour, could be longer, all right? An exclusive YouTube chat where I'm only going to be answering questions that you post on YouTube during that period of time. So this is exclusively for our YouTube audience, but everyone's welcome. All right, so that will be less than one hour after we end tomorrow's show. So stay tuned. If you're connected with us on Facebook or Twitter, we'll give you another reminder of that. All right. And, and uh, yeah, keep praying for David Horowitz. Get the book, Dark Agenda. I, I just got my copy delivered to me, so I'm, I'm eager to read this. And let us pray for those whose names were mentioned, be it Bernie Sanders or AOC or others. Let's pray for them that they would also have a revelation of God's love and truth. And that those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus would live out what we profess. Back with you tomorrow.